welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is James Nestor. He's a journalist and author. He's written articles for many nationally recognized publications, including Scientific American and The New York Times. His best-selling book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, explores how the human species has lost its ability to breathe properly and how we can get it back. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. James, welcome back to the show. Um, James is a best-selling author and journalist who's written for Scientific American, The New York Times. He wrote a book recently, which is done extremely well for lots of reasons. It's called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, and it was released in May 2020. And we spent the first podcast with him discussing just about his background, how he solved his own breathing issues with breath work, and very interesting. We focus mostly on nose breathing versus mouth breathing. So if you missed the first podcast, please go back and listen to it. I think that is a huge issue, very basic simple to solve. I'm anxious myself to try some of his suggestions. And James is very clear. He's not a physician, but he also knows a lot about breathing. And so this is like similar to the whole process that we put out there is that you take control of your own care. You learn what you can learn and you apply what you need to apply. And his background though on breath work is just phenomenal. I'm really excited about it. So James, welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. So what I'd like to focus on this time, um, what's happened to me personally over the last 18 months is that it turns out that mental pain is by far and away the bigger problem than physical pain. It's based on obsessive thought patterns that people can't escape. And what it does, it fires up your body's physiology. So you're in a constant fight or flight state. So it turns out anxiety is a physiological state. It's just the sensation generated when your body's in fight or flight. It is not a psychological state, even though the psychological implications and with breath work, what you're doing, you're changing the body's physiology from fight or flight down to safety, which drops down anxiety. So my goal for 2022 is focusing completely almost on anxiety, which drives lots of a psychological diagnosis. Now, just finish up by saying that I, we really want to pull anxiety out of the diagnostic coding manual because it's a sensation that drives lots of behaviors, but it is a state of your body's physiology, not psychologically. The problem treatment psychologically is that the unconscious brain, anxiety and frustration, process about 20 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes only 40, 20 million versus 40. And it's a mismatch and you can't control anxiety and you don't want to control it. So what you, I'm sorry, you can control anxiety by altering your body's physiology. You cannot do it by rational means. And so what this book, Breath, does, it gives you a whole armamentarium actually lowering your anxiety, which is a big deal. So, James, I guess you're the guest on the show, so I guess it's your turn to talk. <laughs> so, um, i just curious, I, I'll just, my only, people know this story really well, but my whole journey into 15 years of chronic pain started with a panic attack which I didn't know what a panic attack was. I didn't know what anxiety was. I was so good at suppressing it, I had no clue. So I went from being a fearless spine surgeon to crippling anxiety in five minutes. And for 15 years, I could not reverse that process. I did not know about breathing. And so I guess I love to, first of all, hear your perspective on anxiety. 
And uh, what are your thoughts on anxiety in general? I learned about this several years ago when I was working with Dr. Justin Feinstein at the Laurier Institute of Brain Research. And he's the one who mentioned to me that anxiety and panic were physical manifestations of, of something else. And just basically just what you said, I said, well, well, what does that mean? And can, can we measure that? And so he got very interested in looking at the way in which these populations of people with fear-based disorders, whether it be panic disorders or anorexia or agoraphobia, he said, all of them by and large tend to be over breathers. They tend to be hyperventilating. This is the same thing with populations of asthmatics. And we know this because there have been various studies looking at their carbon dioxide levels. And when we over breathe, CO2 goes down. We blow off too much CO2. Our bodies associate that over breathing with an emergency, with panic. Because what happens when we have to run away from a tiger? What happens when we have to defend ourselves? Our heart rate goes up, our energy needs go way up. We need to start shunting blood into the brain and the skeletal muscles to defend ourselves or, or to run away. So our breathing has to go up. You can't be in that situation and be breathing very slowly. But as you've done a great job of explaining over the years, what happens if you happen to be breathing in this way but there isn't an imminent sense of danger and you're breathing this way all the time. An email comes in from your boss, gets you infuriated. Oh, I'm going to quit this job. Oh, I'm going to go tell them to shove it. You know, uh, we're as a society, we're living in this state of chronic low grade stress, sometimes high grade stress, but just chronic stress, which leads to inflammation, which leads to the vast majority of Chronic modern maladies are tied to inflammation. So how breathing can help control that is by switching your breathing from that panicked over-breathing, having that low CO2, breathing short, stilted breaths, breathing through the mouth, you can send your brain signals that you are in a safe place, that you are relaxed. So, so many of those messages, what is it? 80% of the messages between the body and the brain are coming from the body to the brain. So your brain is registering states of stress, depending on what is happening in your body. And the number one way it's registering that is by your diaphragmatic movement. So the phrenic nerve is connected to the brain, brain stem down into the diagram, diaphragm. And this is the, the super highway. So by slowing your movement of your diaphragm, you send your brain signals of relaxation and safety. And if you don't believe me, if this sounds like woo-woo stuff, get any various wearable, look at your blood pressure, look at what happens to your stress levels, look at your heart rate variability after a few minutes of sending your body these signals that you're safe, that you are relaxed. Well, I'm going to be really clear here. <clears throat> so this is the opposite of woo-woo. This is deep physiological research. There are, I'm not going to say hundreds, there are thousands of research papers documenting exactly what you said, that symptoms are created by your body's physiology. And so somehow medicine is getting focused on structure 
And the reason for that is that it is profitable to treat structures. It is not profitable to teach people how to breathe. And so right now, medicine is, right now clinical medicine is operating essentially on no data. And this is deep data. And so we do know that the breathing, and so it is a bi-directional process. As you know, thoughts and emotions are processed in the brain. Unpleasant thoughts and emotions are processed in the brain, similar to physical threats. Your body goes into a fight or flight response, which includes rapid breathing. So you can't control your thoughts, but you said it really nicely is that you can send signals back to your brain of safety. So even though your thoughts are saying, I'm not safe, I'm not safe. By the way, many thoughts are based on cognitive distortions. As I mentioned before the podcast, I'm going to spend 2022 on obsessive thought patterns because it's an epidemic. People don't know, do not know what to do with these thoughts. So these, so the problem is we react to the thoughts. So if we, so we put meaning to everything. And so if you're reacting to cognitive <clears throat> distortions, you're in fight or flight all the time. So you just pointed out that you can actually, the key is giving your body cues of safety, but there's lots of ways of doing that. But the easiest, most basic, and by the way, most powerful is sending signals back to your brain that yes, I'm safe. Whereas the shallow breathing says I'm not safe. So I really think that is remarkable. So have you seen work specifically with breathing and anxiety? Oh, I've talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of researchers who this is their thing, that they are focused on anxiety and many of whom are very focused on breathing because Breathing is the most instantaneous way of taking control of your anxiety to not let a small thing become a big thing because you're obsessing about it and you're thinking about it over and over and over. And one of the tricks that I was taught by Dr. Andrew Huberman down at neuroscientist down at Stanford was something called a physiological sigh. So there's a subset of neurons in the brain responsible for sighing. And we sigh when we are relaxed. Think of a lion laying down, ready to go to sleep. So we can do this consciously. And what it is, is it's two breaths, one on top of the other. So big breaths. And then when you let it out through the nose, you know, like after you eat something, you go, because mm, that stimulates right. a vagal response. It's right. the same thing. So this doesn't, it, you don't have to go, mm, like make it loud. You just, you're doing this to yourself. It can be very, very subtle. Do about three or four of those. Whenever you feel stress coming on, you're in line at an airport, you're, you're mad at your spouse, you're angry at work. Do about three or four of those and then go to a breathing pattern where the exhale is longer than the inhale. So for some people, inhale to four, exhale to six is comfortable. If that's too long for you because you're too panicky, inhale to two or three and exhale to four. No one is, is judging you for doing this. And I think you'll be surprised what these very simple things do to help reset your mind and your body into more of a relaxed state. Yeah, let me 
double check that. So you take you take mm -hmm. two. I use the word sniffs through your nose. Is that the way to describe two it? Two big big breaths. Uh, not not sniffs. You can so. But this this is not some Kundalini pronounced thing. It's right. imagine an analogy that that he used and Jack Feldman at UCLA used is imagine a a balloon. Okay, like a wet balloon. You can blow into it once and it's it's not going to inflate because it there's pressure. There's surface right. tension be right. between those structures, but you blow twice and it blows right up. So right. we have 400 million of those little balloons in our lungs, right. the alveoli, and this allows them to fully purge all the carbon dioxide and to fully inflate. So it's two breaths. And, it's a little and then you let you let it you don't force the exhale let that balloon naturally deflate and Got then it. two breaths let the balloon naturally deflate do about four cycles of this and then when it's time to go back to breathing a good trick is you can do that time breathing that longer exhale the inhale or just imagine when you're breathing that you're snipping a rose or a flower and then when you're exhaling imagine with your nose that you are wanting to the flame of a of a candle to just flutter a little bit that's the volume that's the rate in which you should be taking air in and out of your body and for a lot of people this is very hard because they associate that breath holding that slower breath with not being able to breathe which they associate with a panic attack or an asthma attack because that's what happens when you have a panic attack or an asthma. <laughs> you breathe too much and then you're not able to breathe. So go into this very slowly if you have chronic issues with, with asthma or anxiety or, or panic. Just start very slowly and ease your way into it. So with me, I had panic attacks for years. And let me just define a panic attack for people is that you have, you have a surge of fight or flight chemicals. Your adrenaline goes up, noradrenaline goes up, cortisol, um, your heart rate goes up. Uh, and so you're basically running from the tiger, but there's no tiger. So again, people still think of panic attacks as psychological. Well, your heart racing at 120 beats per minute is not psychological, that's a physiological process. And I didn't know about breathing. I didn't know about the parasympathetic nervous system, even though I learned about it, of course, in anatomy, medical school. But the way we're trained in medical school, we're trained in, in silos. We're, we're sort of memorized things, but we're not necessarily taught to put things together like this. So yes, I learned about all this in anatomy and physiology, but I never connected breathing or other types of calming techniques with panic attacks or anxiety. So I was so, and what happens with a lot of people, and what my story was, I was so excellent at suppressing anxiety, I did not know what it was. I did not know it. I had a patient admitted to the ward when I was 28 years old with an anxiety reaction. I had to look it up in the textbook. I didn't know what it was. So the way I became a major spine surgery was bring it on. I can, I can handle any stress. I mean, honestly, just bring it on. I was challenged by everything. And then at age 37, I went from complete suppression of anxiety. I honestly did not know the term to a panic attack. At that point on, I couldn't stop it. I couldn't control it. So when you use the word stress, we all, we all think in terms of stress as psychology. Well, first of all, stress kills people. We know strong, chronic stress shortens your lifespan by about seven to 10 years. 
Um, there's all sorts of diseases that occur from chronic stress. We know at a certain stress point, people get sick and they die. That's not psychological. So it's all about the body's physiology and how it functions in the world. And if your coping capacity is chronically overwhelmed, and, the, and we also know that chronic stress is a bigger problem than acute stress. That low-grade chronic stress that keeps coming at you is a problem. So multiple anxiety reactions, multiple panic attacks, they go on and on and on. And there's such a mismatch between the conscious and unconscious brain that you can't control it. But breathing is brilliant because it goes right to the physiology. And the vagus nerve goes to every organ in the body. It is the Anton, it, it is the counteraction to the sympathetic nervous system, and it's incredibly powerful. So breathing is direct access to that highway that controls your body's entire fight or flight response. So you had mentioned, I'm excited about, again, please listen to the first podcast about mouth breathing versus nose breathing. You also mentioned the slow breathing, which is really critical. And you had mentioned a few other um, ideas you had about helping people. Again, when you are slow breathing or whatever breathing technique you use, you're directly lowering your body's physiology or inflammatory response. And stress is a total body response to a threat. So you're directly controlling that with breathing techniques. And so the way you lower anxiety is simply lower your fight or flight chemicals. So um, we talked about nose breathing versus mouth breathing. We've talked about, I need the, <laughs> the term you use just for this technique of two quick breaths in and or deep breaths in and slow breath out. What, what's the name for that exercise? We call it a physiological sigh. It's physiological sigh. Okay. Physiolog and yeah, I think they need some rebranding on that, something a little zippier, but you know, these are academics and that's what they do. Right. So just some other suggestions that you might have. Okay, you're anxious, you're frustrated, or maybe you're just sort of anxious about a new job interview or something like that. What are some of the other breathing techniques that have been suggested to you or that you found personally useful to help actually calm down this fight or flight response? Well, what you were saying about the relation between mental stress and then it showing itself in physical symptoms, we can actually look at breathing and how people are breathing and, and help diagnose what's going on with them at, at that moment. And Alicia Moret, who was down at Southern Methodist University, she was at Harvard before that, Stanford before that, did this amazing NIH study in which she took people suffering from, from panic and she just looked at their breathing and she was able to see a panic attack come on an hour before it came on by only looking at their breathing because panic attacks, it, according to her and from other people that I've heard from, like, it takes a while for them to gestate. Uh, it's not going to immediately happen. It's always in the background, right? It, right? There's this background noise, but then there's usually something that just sort of ticks it off. And so they were able to look at breathing rate and specifically at CO2 and see it an hour before it came on. And she also found, and this, the study's incredible because within four weeks of, of just looking at the breathing, controlling their breathing, something like 40% of these people were no longer having panic attacks. Two months later, 68% were no longer having panic attacks. A right. year after that, so this goes on and on, it was more effective than, than anything else. So if you think that this physical reaction is contributing to this panic, which it is, so the, the mind is racing, 
but then the body starts racing too. So what do you do to keep both of these things from racing into a, a collision course, which is what happens when you have an attack? You have to take control of one of them. Most of us today aren't adept enough to just focus and use our minds. And this is what Justin Feinstein told me. He was teaching people with PTSD, uh, soldiers, people with serious problems, how to meditate. And he said it was a disaster. It just wasn't working in the modern world. But breathing was because it's not about I want you to sit in this dark room and focus on this dot for 20 minutes. Someone with PTSD, that's that's a threat. (laughs) It's not going to work, but they can breathe. And, and so by slowing down the breathing into that breathing pace, into that slow nurturing breathing that is associated with, I'm feeling safe. I'm at home right now. I'm with family. I'm with friends. I'm petting my dog. Tricks your brain, even though that's a terrible word for it. It signals your brain that you can relax. And it takes a while to really get this down. There's a zillion different ways to do this, but that's the general premise. Well, humans, remember, every <clears throat> living creature has a fight or flight response, and humans have language, which as in thoughts, as a threat, where my cat doesn't have that threat. Um, but with consciousness, you have a choice of actually reversing the process with breathing. My cat, once the danger is gone, she just lays down and goes to sleep, right? Her, but see, her brain isn't torturing her. We're humans, it is. So we do have that other weapon of actually controlling your body's physiology. It's like flipping a switch or putting your car into a different gear. You've done that. Not mind over matter, not conquering things. And it's interesting to talk about meditation because for a couple of years, I tried to use meditation as my first approach with chronic pain and it didn't work. And the problem is when you're, again, these obsessive thought patterns keep coming in and when it's quiet, they become worse. And again, obsessive thought patterns are the, the, the combination is you have unpleasant thoughts, but it's like a popcorn popper. You have these, the popcorn kernels are the thoughts and the, and the hot burners, your fired up nervous system. So you have to solve the problem two ways. You can divert the thoughts a different direction. There's things like expressive writing, et cetera, that do that. But what you're doing with the breathing, you're turning off the burner. You're just turning the inflammation way down. So I don't know if you know this. I have full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder. Have you read my work at all? Uh-huh. I had the worst of the worst. I had a full-blown disturbing intrusive thoughts that were there every three to five minutes for like years. I was suicidal. It was a disaster. And when I talk to teens now, this generation is tortured with obsessive thought pattern. I'm fine. And the prognosis for OCD is not very good. And then people aren't talking about this. People don't want to talk about these crazy thought patterns but you can't do it with counseling because you end up thinking about it more you can do it with meditation because again you have more attention on the thoughts but you have to do both you have to turn down the burner and you have to divert the thoughts so what the breathing does for my it's somewhat of a crude analogy but you're turning off the heat and these thoughts can come and go as they please but you're not reacting to them and so just a tremendous so OCD is the ultimate anxiety disorder. I went to psychotherapy for 13 solid years to deal with it and got way worse. So go, just you just mentioned something really powerful is that with simple breathing techniques, I mean, there's other ways of dealing with this in addition to breathing, but this is really basic stuff for dealing with anxiety. 
So you mentioned that this people a year later, 60% were doing much better with anxiety just with breathing techniques. Uh, oh, it was 96% were very much improved or much improved. And I think it was a year later, 60 to 70% were no longer having panic attacks, zero. And the one intervention was breathing. There were no other pills. There was nothing else. And I wow. think you, you really touched on something. We're, we're told that, you know, you need to go to Tibet, you know, need to go to India and you need to slow down your mind. Maybe 50 years ago or 100 years ago, that would work because we lived in a different culture. But it is just not applicable uh, for this day and age for most people. Your phone is going off every 10 seconds. You were constantly having to feed on all of these different impulses. And this is something that I think is completely lost. I, to be clear, I'm not in, in the medical world. Okay, I'm on the outside. This is what I've heard from people, though. And I'm just a, a filter from what I've heard from some real experts is we're treating people with these same treatments that have been around 70 years, 80 years. The, the world's changed now. Right. And, and people have changed and their neuroses have changed. So the therapy needs to change. Right. And you, you can't blame someone. Oh, you didn't do your hour of meditation and you aren't changed from that today. Well, that's why you're still sick. The right. therapy needs to adapt to people. And what I like about breathing, it's not going to fix everything for everyone. I'm just going to be very clear about that. What I like about it is you can do it in your same neurotic lifestyle. You're working 12 hours, 16 hours a day. You're going to the gym after there's no time to stop you can focus on your breathing throughout this process and get measurable improvement throughout it. So I think it's more applicable to this day and age of, of constant hectic, hecticness than it is asking someone to, to meditate for hours a day. Well, I want to finish this, finish this off with one final thought <clears throat> is that anxiety is epidemic right now. And again, the answers are right there in front of us. It's a physiological state. It is not psychological. And breath work, which cannot be simpler, is actually directly accessing the most powerful anti-inflammatory agent in the body, which is the vagus nerve. And so by taking control of your physiology, first of all, you're directly going anti-inflammatory. But we also know the research shows that actually taking control is anti-inflammatory. So you've done two things at once right there. And of course, other things you can do to help calm down your nervous system. But the breath work is really, really a key factor in this thing. So I really appreciate your time. I think the breath work, at least for me today, has also highlighted how physiological this whole process really is. But what I want to finish off with is that when you're anxious, I'm going to get rid of the word anxious and just say when your physiology is activated in fight or flight, you're trying to escape the tiger, at a certain level of what's called inflammatory cytokines or small proteins, it changes the blood flow to your brain. So you go from the neocortex or the thinking centers down to the autonomic nervous system, the survival centers. So you can't think clearly and you can't even really engage in a learning healing process. So the breath work can do two things. You can actually prepare your brain to actually learn. Then of course, while you're learning these tools and they become automatic, you're actively taking control of your quality of life with cannot be a simpler, more available tool. So um, I'm excited about your book. I'm excited about reading it further. And we, we did not get into the history of breathing, which is pretty remarkable. People figured this out hundreds of years ago. Um, and now we have the neuroscience to back it up. 
So your book is Breath, The New Signs of a Lost Art. And could you again give the audience your website and resources? Sure. You can go to mrjamesnester.com because uh, somebody else took jamesnester.com, which I'm very, uh, was very sad about. So there's an MR in the front there and all of the references to the book are there. There are breathing exercises from experts in the field. There are expert interviews. It's all free. If you want to learn more, you can read the book as well. But if you are saying this can't be true, go and check out the scientific references first. And I think you'll realize that we've known this has been true for more than Western scientists have for more than 100 years. And it's, it's odd that we have to relearn what we've already known for so long. No, it's fantastic. Really, this is a major contribution to my work, you know, trying to deal with chronic pain and uh, really fantastic. So thank you again for being on the show. Thanks a lot for having me. I'd like to thank our guest, James Nestor, for being on the program today and for sharing different breathing techniques we can use to lower stress, anxiety, and panic attacks. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.